You are listening to Church at the Oaks podcast, where we exist to send disciple makers of Jesus by being disciple makers of Jesus. For more information about our church, such as service times, upcoming events, or how to join a group, please visit us at churchattheoaks.com. good time getting to hang out with Ezra Warren the other day and, and just get to hear his story and um and man like he gets it and so like he was like yeah, yeah I got this whole Jesus thing I'm ready to like do something with this like I got I got I got stuff to do and people to tell and uh I I, I love that I mean there's there's something just so simple and so true um about that and so uh, this morning we're going to jump in Luke chapter 5 and so you got a copy of God's word that's where we're going to be um and uh as we do we we've we're getting to the beginning of some some people's story. I, I love the way Ezra Warren began his story. He's like, I was traveling this long time ago, March 5th, and, um, you know, and it's, it's the beginning of, uh, of a story, you know, and as he, he went through, he's telling you, like, how this, how this thing started, and now he's talking about, I'm ready to, I'm ready to get after it. I'm ready, I'm ready to do something. So this morning, we're going to hit the beginning of some people's stories uh, as they first interact with Jesus. So all, all good stories have uh, a beginning, right? And so some of those stories are a little, little bumpy. Some of them are pretty uh, uh, profound. So like if you're married in the room, like how, how did your story, how did your story begin? You know, as soon as, as, soon as I asked that, you, like, you remember, you know, I got me and Jessica, our story began in health class, super romantic. Uh, so we, <laughs> I remember um, the way Jessica tells it, she, she talks about how she was coming to, in a 10th grade health class, you know, it was this stressful moment. She didn't think she's going to know anybody in there. And she walks into the room, and there's this glorious, beautiful, tanned young man with this flow, you know. Uh, excuse me. Anyway, so she comes, sits down, and we start talking, and then eventually we become friends, and now we've got all these kids, right? And so every story's got a, a beginning. Your story has been, so like, um, if you're a student, your time in Alabama, like there was a, a backstory to that, how you got here. But thankfully, in all those beginnings of those stories isn't just... That's not the fullness of it. Like the beginning is just the beginning. And then there finally you get around to the good part. You get to see the, the fruit of that. Like you get to see the trajectory of something that doesn't just begin but continued. I think that's where a lot of us kind of get things with Jesus a little sideways is that sometimes we, we get the beginning part set. We fixate on the beginning, that we've begun this relationship with Jesus. I've made this decision to, to follow Jesus with my life. I've trusted him as my savior. And then if we're not careful, the beginning of the story just becomes the story. The, the outflow of that, about what God's going to do with us and what he wants to draw us into and you being engaged in mission and seeing the life impacted because of what happened at the beginning of the story, some, some people miss that. I've interacted with people my whole life who have been Christians for a, a long, long time, who made a profession of faith way back when at some point, and they never really got going, never really saw any fruit out of that. It just was a beginning with no follow-up. I don't want that for us. I don't want that for myself. I don't want my kids. I don't want it for you. The beginning is just the beginning. So as we jump in, we're going to see these, uh, some, some people first interact with Jesus. And it's an incredible story, but it's the, it's the beginning of something far greater than just the beginning. So, so far, we've been walking through the book of Luke. If you haven't been around for the whole series, we've, we've made it through Luke chapter 1 through 4. And we've seen how Luke kind of set up at the beginning. He told us that Jesus was the Son of God, basically. He says, this is who he is. This is the authority that he carries. And then we get to chapter 4, and we see that authority questioned. And Jesus shows up in his hometown. He opens the scroll of Isaiah. He reads, and he says, 
basically, all right, that's been fulfilled in me today right here. And his hometown just straight up rejects him. Like, they're, I don't care what, what, if you claim all the authority in the world, we're not going to receive that. And that's our prerogative. That's, our, that's a choice. And so his, his authority is questioned. Luke says he has it. Then it shows up. Then it's, it's questioned. And then following that, we see Luke showing us instance after instance after instance of Jesus' authority playing out in real time in people's lives. He's got authority in the word. He's got authority in his actions. He's got authority over our very, our very lives, right? And finally, we get to Luke chapter 5, and we see what it looks like when Jesus crashes into the, into the world of an individual like you. So Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, it says this. It says, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the, uh, the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen, they'd gone out of them, and they were washing their nets. And so you can imagine the, this, the picture here, and you can imagine like the crowds pressing in on Jesus. They're wanting to hear more. He's been doing some incredible things. Like he started working these, in these miraculous ways, and he's teaching with authority. There's recognizable difference to what he's having to say. And so they wanted to hear more. And so he's getting kind of pressed towards the water, and then, you know, eventually you got to figure out how not to get your feet wet. And so Jesus sees these fishermen over here, and he, he says, hey, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask them to, to allow me to use their boats. And so the, the normal position for a, for a rabbi to teach was to be seated. And so he's going to figure it out where he can be a little bit offshore, he can be seated, he can teach the people and not get shoved in the lake, which would you know, it would not be great. And so he's doing this. He's found these fishermen, and these, these fishermen, it says they're cleaning their nets. This is probably early morning. The fishermen have been fishing at night. That's when they fish, and they've brought the boats in. They're cleaning their gear. They're getting ready to pack it up for the day, all right? And they had to fish at night because they had these drag nets. And I don't know if you've ever, you can probably imagine a drag net, but during the daytime, fish can see those things. It doesn't work. You can't use drag nets during the daylight because the fish can see it, and they just run, right? So you've got to do this at night. They've got all their gear in. They're packing it up. I don't know if you've ever gone fishing, but getting all the gear home, I just want to leave it. I just want like, you know what? I'll buy new gear. So they're packing all their stuff. They're getting it all together, and they're ready to go home. And so Jesus needs a place to sit and turns and asks one of the fishermen for help. Says, hey, would you, would you mind? And it was a guy that he already knew. It was a guy named Simon. So verse, thir- verse 3 says, getting into the one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little bit from land, and he, he sat down, and he taught the people from the boat. So he sits down, begins to teach. Now, if you remember, Simon and Jesus first had some interactions in the last chapter where Simon, uh, Simon's mother-in-law had this fever and Jesus shows up and they ask Jesus to, if he can do anything about this. And it says that he rebukes the fever, like talks to a fever and it leaves her and she hops up and she starts serving everybody. That's Simon's mother-in-law. They've already had some interaction here. So he sees Simon over here cleaning his desk. He's like, hey, can uh, you mind... Simon brings the boat over. Jesus climbs in with Simon. They push off just a little bit from shore. Jesus sits down and begins to teach with this same authority. And there's Simon like three feet from him. You can't like not listen to Jesus when you're three feet from him. Like a front row seat to what Jesus had to say. So verse 4 says this. When, he, when Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Hey, why don't you put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch? Jesus goes from the crowd to an individual. He's been speaking to a crowd and he zooms in on a, and an individual person. He's going to interact with Simon on a personal basis. That's what Jesus, you, you see him consistently doing this all the time. He's still doing this. I think this morning, if you walked in here just expecting to hear a thing to a crowd, like I'm hoping and praying that Jesus does something with you individually, drawing you to himself personally. It's not just information that's being, that Jesus is, is interested in conveying. He wants to get on a personal level with individual people, even this morning. 
And so he, he, he turns to Simon and he wants to engage personally. Jesus finished teaching and turns to him and he said, and, and what he tells him to do doesn't really make any sense. It's early morning, the sun's up. I mean, the time for fishing is past. Like this isn't what they're doing. This is not the time to fish. The nets are clean, the gear's ready to go and they're just kind of doing Jesus this, this favor so they can head back home. It's time to pack it up. Listen, I'm not very much of a fisherman. I'm colorblind. I blame fishing on that. Honestly, it's just that I have no patience, but it's nice to blame it on the colorblind thing because somehow I feel like people can see fish in the water. I just see brown. It's all just brown. Everything's brown all the time. And so uh, I, don't, I don't really go fishing. My father-in-law likes to fish and like a bunch of other people, like my brother-in-laws and stuff, they like to go. And I just, I, I've gone sometimes. I don't know if I've ever caught a fish in my life. I mean, my whole life, I'm not sure I've ever actually caught one. I remember one time, me and Adam and uh, my brother-in-law Drew and my brother-in-law Justin, we um, we went on a on a guided trout fishing trip for one of the guys' bachelor parties. It was going to be incredible. It was like guaranteed fishing. I'll do that, I guess. Like if someone guarantees me, I'll catch fish. And so I'm in this like giant rowboat with some really intense-looking guy and my brother-in-law Drew. We don't know how to fish, and this guy's like he's like baiting the hooks for us. I mean, I'm not. I'm literally doing nothing. It was the bougiest thing I've ever been a part of, right? And so we're in this little rowboat thing in this river. We're like, we're going to catch some trout. And I'm like, all right, cool. I'll, I'll throw a you hook and you do it. I'll stand here and I guess I just crank and that's it. It's like, that's pretty much it. It's like, okay. And so uh, we start throwing lines in the water and it's pretty, you know, it's a river. You got like rocks and stuff and about an hour passes and there's no fish. And I'm like, mm-hmm. Okay. Fantastic. Another hour passes. Like, you sure there's fists in this river? And the guy's like, I thought there were, man. I don't know what to tell you. Like three hours in, I've eaten all the snacks. I've drank all the Dr. Peppers. I'm like laying in the back of the boat. And I'm like, you know what? Fishing's great. I'm just going to lay back here and do this. This is, this is my Like, I'm just, that's not who I am. I, I'm, I'm, I'm out. I've had all the snacks. Let's go home. Simon's ready to go home. He's had a frustrating night. He says he, has, he hasn't caught anything. He'll tell you in a minute. And, and there's Jesus in the boat with him, telling him to get all of his gear back out, let down the nets again, and, and this is, this is going to be somehow different. And Simon's not buying it. Verse 5, Simon answers, Master, man, we, we toiled all night and took absolutely nothing. How frustrating that is to work all night with a whole crew of people fishing, and you've taken nothing. Like, you've got completely skunked. Like, that's, it's, it's frustrating. So, it's, Master, we toiled all night. We took nothing, but at your word. I'll let down the nets. It's a little passive aggressive, right? Like it's a little passive aggressive. There's like a slight rebuke here from Simon being like, hey, I'm the fisherman and you're the carpenter, all right? Stay in your lane. You don't, I don't think you know what you're, I don't think you know what you're talking about, but uh, whatever, right? That's, he's, Jesus, he's like, I'm a profession, professional fisherman. I know what I'm doing here. I've, let me handle my thing and you kind of just handle your thing and you do the God stuff and the teaching and whatever. And then I'm going to handle my livelihood. I'm going to handle my personal business. That sounded all familiar to you? Where we say like, yeah, okay, like Jesus, I, I, I get it. Right? You got this whole God side of thing, like the spirituality stuff and I'm fine with the singing and whatever, I guess. And I'll, I mean, that's fine. That's bit, you got your area. But then when it comes to these areas, these are mine. I'm the professional over here. I got, this, I got this side of things handled. The business side is mine. You can do the spiritual stuff. That's all right. But I know what I'm doing. I've got a good plan. I've been pretty successful in some of these areas. I got this. We can do that with any kind of that. It can be your, it can be your career. It can be your finances. It can be your kids. Like, I'm going to parent my way. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm in charge here. This is my area. 
I feel like that sometimes, where I find myself like taking control of certain areas of my life and saying, no, no, this is, this is, this is, this is mine. I've got a plan here. I've got common sense. And God gave me common sense. Like, I, I should be able to navigate this. That's kind of what Simon's saying. Simon says he's, he's got it handled, but, but something in him makes him relent. Like, there's something significant to what he says. He calls him master. In Greek word, there's, it's a piece, a, a piece to tell. Like, it's, it's only found seven times in the whole New Testament. It's, 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 it carries some weight of, of authority. Luke's been talking about authority consistently throughout the first four chapters, and then you get to chapter five, and Simon calls him master. He doesn't call him rabbi, which has this teaching component to it. He calls him master, which is about authority. He says, all right, like, because I've seen that you've got some authority, I'll give this a shot. He acknowledges Jesus' authority, even though he really doesn't want to do it. That sounds familiar too, doesn't it? says, because I've seen your authority, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll humor you. I'll, I, we'll test this. We'll see, we'll kind of see how this, see how this goes. I think when it some, comes to some of the things that God calls us to do, this is, this is our starter approach. We're like, okay, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I've been comfortable in this area. I've been, I've been doing my thing over here. And, if, and God, if you're going to call me out into this, that makes me, uh, I don't know. I don't know if that's such a great idea. Some of you that are like about to head out for the entire summer, Either you or your mom and daddy were like, mm, I don't know. I don't know if spending a whole summer in Southeast Asia sounds like a great plan or not, you know, but you're going, right? We're going we're gonna to let down the nets and give this thing a shot here. Some of us, when you jumped into a church plant, some of you like were on like, like old school launch team. Like when you guys, like back behind y'all, like those people, they're like, Luke and Molly were like, hey, uh, we joined the launch team for your church, but like I never heard you preach. Like, is it decent? I was like, it's okay. You know, I mean, because you, you don't know what you're getting into. And you're like, I think God's kind of calling me to be a part of this church plan, help start a church. And I don't know what that's going to look like. And I don't know if it's going to work, but like, I'll try. Let's, let's go. We let down our nets a little bit. Maybe there was a little bit of, uh, I'm not so sure how this is going to work out, but I know enough of you that I'm willing to at least test it. That's where Simon's at. He's not full bore. He's not like running through walls yet. It's not who he is yet. Right now, he's just like, oh, I'm not so sure about this. But you're in the boat, and it's kind of awkward, so I think I have to, right? Simon does it. He gives it a shot, and everything goes absolutely crazy. Verse 6 says, when they finally had done this, they enclosed this large number of fish, and their, their nets were breaking, and they had to signal to the partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats, so the, both boats began to sink like I don't think you can, it's hard to imagine the, the turmoil, like the crazy that's going down in just a matter of moments where he just finished teaching. He turns to someone like, hey, why don't you, uh, why don't you let down your nets and see what, uh, see what happens, right? And then they get the nets down and all of a sudden there's so many fish just like attacking the nets that, you know, James and John have to row their little boat over there and they got two nets and both boats are going down and Jesus is sitting over in the corner laughing, like getting his feet up so he can get his sandals wet. You know, like, I don't think he helped. You think Jesus helped? I don't think he helped. I think he just kind of like cackled and laughed at him the whole time. I was like, told you. I mean, there's just, that's, that's how I imagine this going down. But it wasn't just about, you know, it wasn't just about the success of it. It wasn't just about like material provision. I mean, that's, that's a big deal to catch that many fish. That can provide for a family for a long time. There's something else going on. And Simon gets it. Verse 8 says, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. The title changed. You see that? I went from master, now we're at Lord. 
It says, verse 9, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Why? Why, why is that the response to fish? Because that's like a deep heart level response, right? Like it's, that's, that's like heart change stuff is happening and it's some fish in a net in between some boats and some guys. Like why? That seems uh, almost too heavy of a response. But something about Simon, like he, he knew this was absurd. He knew that something miraculous was happening. He'd worked it out in his mind that he had, he had figured this out. I, I saw what happened to my mother-in-law. Like, I've heard the teaching. I've heard the authority in his voice. And now I've seen this stuff, like, firsthand. Like, this isn't explainable. And Simon got to a point where he figured out that Jesus was who he said he was. And he came face to face with the King of kings and Lord of lords, like the Holy One, right? He figured out, like, I'm standing in the presence of the Holy One. And you see what, see what Simon did as soon as he figured that out? What was his reaction? Was his reaction to draw near to Jesus? No, his reaction was to ask Jesus to leave. We just sang about the holiness of the Lord, right? We just sang about like his, his glory, his holiness, his majesty. And when Simon figured out that he was standing in that majesty, standing in the presence of that holiness, his, his assumption was that holiness needed to depart from him because he's a sinful and broken person. Jesus got on the boat intentionally, but Simon's saying, hey, you don't need to have anything to do with me. In light of who you are, if that's really actually who you are, you, need, you, need to, you, you probably need to be better off without me. Simon assumes that holiness would run. I think a lot of times all of us do that. Like it's, it's the same response you see over and over again in Scripture. And Abraham does it in Genesis 18. Job does it in Job 42. Israel, the nation of Israel, Exodus 20 says, let not God speak to us lest we die. There's, there's an assumption that there needs to be this distance between the broken people like us and this holy one of God. Isaiah does it. When Isaiah gets to Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood, stood uh, the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. Two, he covered his feet. Two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. We just sang that. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of the people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the king, Lord of hosts. Isaiah assumes that he needs to be separated from the Lord, that there needs to be a distance there. Simon assumes there needs to be a distance there. Tells Jesus, like, you, you, need, you need to depart from me. I'm a, I'm a sinner. You don't want to have anything to do with a sinner. What are you doing with me? In all those moments, what you, you don't see, you don't see God running. You don't see God taking a step back from the center. You don't see God stepping, taking a step back and insulating himself from broken and beat up and messy people. You never see him taking a step back. The people assume that he would, but he never, he doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't do that. He presses in, just like in Isaiah chapter 6. He does the exact same thing. When Isaiah 6, 6, so one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth. And said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. That, that's what the Lord is in the business of doing. It's not in distancing himself from broken people like you and me. He draws near and he handles what we can't handle. He atones for what needs to be atoned for. He removes sin from us. His holiness is so great and so majestic that it overwhelms our sinfulness. When you come to trust Jesus as your Savior, he, gives, he takes that righteousness that he lived and, and, and imputes it, gives it to you. 
takes your sin from you on himself and died for that on the cross, like removes your sin from you. He says that he flings it as far as the east is from the west and does all of that as a free gift by grace through faith. So I just, I'm gonna gonna trust Jesus as my savior. And when that moment that we're like, you've trusted Christ as your savior, like I believe that you're not just a teacher, you're not just a communicator, that you're Lord. That's That's what Simon called him, Lord. When we do that, we put our, put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that grace isn't given to you. Your sin is taken away and he gives you his righteousness. He doesn't step back away from you, but I still have conversations all the time. I mean, probably once a week, I have a conversation with somebody who's like, listen, man, I get all that. I understand that. I understand what you're saying. It makes some sense, but you don't know. You don't know the backstory. You don't know the beginning of my story. And what I want to say every time is like, I don't care about the beginning of your story because the beginning of your story isn't your story. It's just the beginning. Simon had a pretty messy beginning of his story. Paul had a pretty messy beginning of his story. You had a real jacked up version of your story, right? Like, you know your story, same as I know mine. Jesus didn't run from them. He didn't run from me. He didn't run from you. And so if you're a believer here this morning, there's some sin that's kind of crept back into your life. He's not, he's not... He's not distant from you because you've, you've got things gotten a little bit messy recently. Repent, turn from your sin, just draw near to Jesus. These open arms is there. If you're not a believer, if you haven't trusted Christ as your savior, he's not running from you. He's not angry at you. He's not distant from you. Even if you think he should be, he's sitting in the boat saying, eh, that's not how this works. I want you. I want to have a personal relationship with you. I don't want you just to show up and listen in a crowd. I want to, I want to be in the boat. I want to be with you. Verse 10, the end of it, Jesus says to Simon, listen, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to be catching men. Simon told him to go, and Jesus did not comply. First thing that Jesus did, he pulled him close. Holiness of God is so great, it's not diminished by sin. Holiness redeems, it engages. And some of you know that you're a mess, and you need to be redeemed, you need to be engaged. The holiness and the beauty of Jesus is not to push you away from him, it's to draw you close. Jesus got Simon in the boat with him saying, listen, I want you to be about this mission. I want you to be with me, engaged with me. Not like watching me at a distance. I want you with me. I want you engaged with him as well. First thing he did, he pulled him close. The second thing, he gave him a mission. He said, from now on, you're going to be catching men. Like, like you're going to be with me doing this work of seeking and saving the lost. He said, from now on. That's a, that signals a change, a break from the past. Like there was the time before this moment and there was this moment and now there's everything that comes. I don't know where you are in that story. Some of you are still in the backstory. You haven't got to the point that it's the from a now on kind of moment. Like Ezra Warren, like I was in the car with my daddy and I'm like, I want to know how to be a Christian. Like some of you haven't got to that point yet. You're still in the backstory. Okay, great. He wants to draw you close. Some of you are in this from now on kind of moment. Or recently you've said, listen, I want to I know him. I want to walk with him. I want to draw near him. We've seen a ton of people this semester come to know, trust Christ as their Savior. It's been a beautiful thing. But that from now on kind of moment, it signals a break from the old, and there's an invitation into something new and something different, something far more pro- profound than just the beginning of your story. So from now on, you're going to be catching men. Right there at the beginning, he invites, he invites Simon into the mission. Isn't that interesting? Like from the very beginning of Simon's story with Jesus, like from the very beginning, he was invited into the mission. 
It wasn't like an addendum later. It wasn't like, why don't you learn a lot about it? Why don't you take some classes? Why don't you get settled? And, you know, five, six, seven, ten years later, you'll be established enough that you can finally join the mission of seeking and saving the other people who are still lost like you were. He didn't do that. They're still in the boat. There's still fish flopping around everywhere, all right? I mean, like, seconds have passed, and Jesus says, from now on, if you're going to be with me from now on, you're going to be about this mission. That's the second thing he gave him. He said, he drew him close, and he invited him into the mission. Do you feel adequate for the mission? Absolutely not. I don't feel adequate for the mission. Like, when God called us into doing this, or actually anything he's ever called me into, I haven't felt adequate for it. Do you think Simon's adequate for the mission? Is this really the guy that they need out there doing this? Like, no. So you're not adequate for the mission. Congratulations. All the people sitting around you aren't either. That's kind of the point. Kind of the point is that we're not adequate to do this on our own, that you're not fully equipped to do this. And there's this glorious and majestic and holy God who's given you the Holy Spirit so that it enables you to do things that you are completely inadequate to do on your own. If you'd feel inadequate, that's the right feeling. Do you think Simon felt inadequate? Yeah, he felt inadequate. Does Jesus seem to care about how adequate or inadequate Simon is in this moment? Is this, is this an interview? Is he like testing him out? Like, well, you're a really solid communicator and you're really good with spreadsheets, so you're in. I mean, is, is, is Jesus at all concerned about how adequate or prepared Simon is? He's not any more or less concerned about how adequate or prepared you are either. But if we've trusted Christ, we've been invited into the mission. Those things are inseparable. One goes with the other. So if this is Simon's mission from the beginning, it's, it's mine as well. And so the question for us then is like, are we doing it? Are we doing this mission? He says, from now on, you're going to be catching men. What he means is that from now on, you're going to be sharing what I've done with you and inviting people into the same relationship that you've just stepped into. So I've got to ask myself, like, who am I sharing with? I got to ask myself, like, when's the last time I shared my story of how Jesus changed me? So for you, like, when's the, la- when's the last time, like, you got to share your story? You intentionally shared your story of how God changed your life with somebody else around you. That's a question that has to be on our lips all the time. Like, who are we? If this is the mission, how's the mission playing out at home? For those of you who have kids, like, this, is, this one hits deep on me. Like, when's the last time I told my kids the story of how I trusted Christ as my Savior? When's the last time that, that I was communicating with them what Jesus had done in my life or even is still doing in my life so that they can see that pattern and begin to follow in that? Like, am I, doing, am I fishing at home? That's what I'm called to do. You've been called into the mission to make Christ known. I know some of you have some questions about that. I know all of us feel inadequate about it sometimes, but Jesus is not concerned about our adequacy. He's concerned with our obedience. So we run hard after him, even when we don't doesn't completely make sense. We let down the nets. Third thing that happened uh, is that following Jesus, it meant leaving behind what made sense. Look what happens in verse 11. It says, when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. That's the third thing. Following Jesus means leaving behind what makes sense. I think when, when God begins to work on our lives and call us into some stuff, a lot of the things that he invites us into don't make a lot of sense. A lot of the things like do run counter, counter, counterculture. A lot of things do seem to uh, take an element of, I don't know if that's a great idea, but I'm going to trust you. Like there's a lot of times that calling feels like that. But like what else are they going to do? 
What if Simon, like Simon and James and John, like they're standing there and like he, he invites them into this mission and they're like, actually, you know what? We're good. Thanks for the fish. Uh, that was exciting. Um, but we're going to go handle the fish, right? And uh, we'll see you. We'll, we'll see you. Thanks. For, it was great to meet you. Really fun. Uh, had a great time. But we'll see you soon, you know? See you on the next trip by the lake, you know? Is that, with that, is that logically possible for them? And is it any less logically possible for me and you to disengage from the mission having seen and experienced what we've seen and experienced of Jesus? Like, do we have, like, logically, do it make sense for us to separate ourselves from the mission and claim a relationship with Christ and do nothing with that? I don't think it makes any more sense. They followed. They left the boats. They left the huge catch. They left everything. They left what made sense. What made sense was handling the huge catch, handling the boats, getting some debts paid off, like, doing the things. Like, that's what made sense. But when you come to meet Jesus, when you come to believe in him, like there's the only right response is to follow him. He's not a celebrity that you got to bump into and take a picture with and tell the story of that one time you saw him. Is that what you want of Jesus? Like a story of just how you met him. And that's the entire story. I met him. Everything since then was just about how I, I met him that time. Uh, not a lot's been different since then. I'm not really following him. I'm not really engaged in the mission. But I did meet him that time. It was really fun. It's exciting. Lots of fish involved. Like that, that's not what any of us are here to do. This part of their story was just the beginning. Where are you in your story with the Lord? Are you engaged in that mission? Because there's so much that follows from the, after the point of the beginning of your story with Christ. There's a beauty and a power and a, a fulfillment in the mission, which is why we read the Great Commission every week, reminding ourselves of who we are, what we're trying to do. These guys, there's the beginning of their story. Christians, your story began how it began. And too many of us, we just never move beyond the beginning. Too many of us, we never get to see the fruit of what he invited us into. What would it look like for you this morning, like practically, what would it look like for you to take a, that next step into that next chapter of following Jesus? So here this morning, you're not a believer yet. What would it look like? What would have to take place for you to begin to move and investigate, to figure out the questions that have been on your mind a long, long time and and Find out, like decide, figure out what it is you actually believe. And while all these other people around you seem so passionate about this, what would it take for you to take one more step toward Jesus this morning? Maybe you're a new believer and you feel really inadequate for the mission. Like, I don't know if I, I don't know what I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I just, I feel like I just need to be equipped for a while and I just need to kind of lay low and try to play catch up. What would it look like for you to take that next step to start engaging? Maybe you've been a Christian a long time and you really haven't been engaged and you've kind of gotten set in your ways a little bit and there's some, you know, some kind of creakiness in the bones spiritually a little bit. Like, what would it take for you to move towards the mission, to make some next steps, next steps towards Jesus? What would it look like for you? I don't know what it means, but I, I don't know what practically you need to do, but I don't, I don't want to get stuck at the beginning of my story. I don't want our church to get stuck at the beginning of the story and say, we're passionate about seeing a church rise out of the ground that would love the city and love the campus and love the world, but we got kind of off the ground and we was kind of, we're done because we decided we'd arrive. That's not what, that's not what we're going to do. It wouldn't make any sense. No, we're going to push. Like We're going to do the work that he set before us. We're going to run hard individually and collectively. Listen, he's called you. He's not backing away from your mess. He's not intimidated by your inadequacy. He's not deterred by your problem. He's not. He just invited you to, into a loving relationship with him, to be renewed by him, to be restored by him, by what he did on the cross for you. And he's invited you to the mission. He's invited you to follow him. So what are you going to do practically this next week? What's the next step to that next chapter of following Jesus? Just don't let the beginning of your story be the end of your story.
I'm going to pray for us. Our band's going to come, lead us in a time of response. And uh, I want you to pray through that. I want you to think through what that practically would look like. What would it mean for me to move forward in this story that I've begun with Jesus? Let me pray for you. Father, um, I'm just so grateful that... uh, I'm so grateful that you don't, you don't back away from our mess. I'm so grateful that you are not deterred um, by our brokenness. And a lot of times in my mind, like it, it really does, it, make, it would make sense. It, it would seem like that would be the way this would work, that, that my sin, like my failures would push you away. Like you would go running for the hills and lie to some of the stuff that I've done. That's not who you are. God, I think there's probably some people in the room this morning who expect you to be distant from them because of the way life has looked. And God, so I pray, I, I pray that right now by your spirit that you would just let them hear that you are not running from them, that you're not done with them. You're not distant from them, you're not angry with them, but you came to seek and save those who are lost pray for every one of my friends in the room who's not a believer, hasn't trusted you as their savior yet. I pray that this morning, by your spirit, that you would help them to take that next step, whatever that looks like, towards you. Maybe that means to engage in a conversation with a friend or a family member and just ask some of the questions that are on their heart, those hard questions that maybe even they feel embarrassed about. God, would you give them the boldness to just ask those questions? God, by your spirit, give give them the courage to take that next step towards you. I pray that some of the people in the room that are at that point of saying, listen, I think the questions that have been on my heart and mind are answered. I just need him. If, that, if he's not running from me, I want to have that relationship with him. I pray that they would trust you to save right now where they are. They'd have a conversation with you right now just confessing sin and committing to follow you with their lives right here, right now. God, for a lot of us though, we've had the beginning of a story trusted our lives to you and somehow along the way we, we, we miss some of the next steps we miss the mission God we don't want the beginning of our story to be the whole story so God draw us into your word help us to overcome the fear help us to overcome the stagnancy help us to be about what you've called us to be about we need you in that it's too much for us so God move We love you. We need you. It's your son's name, pray.